0: Hey, why don't you turn to Job 31. Uh, I'm going to warn you this morning, um, this might come with a little uh, emotion, Um, and uh, I don't know if I should apologize for that or not. Um, It's going to be hard to separate uh, what we experienced in the last few days in Joplin with... uh, the text that the Lord had planned. Uh, I didn't choose this message because of Joplin. Uh, this was the message on the calendar, and we happened to go to Joplin. Uh, it's amazing how the Lord works. Um, I want to read a passage. Um, we're, we have two weeks left in our Gospel in Life series, and we're going to talk today about justice. Being a people for others. Um, And I want to read a passage um, that Sierra shared with me in Joplin after we served our first day. Um, And it's in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. And, And this is what it says. It says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Um, as, as we talked this morning about being a people for others, um, the, the, the thing that's just so weighing on my mind that I just kind of want to bring you into a little bit, and you're going to hear from Amanda and Sierra uh, here in a little bit about our time in Joplin um, but, but the thing that's been weighing on my mind more than anything was the interaction that we had with, with residents of Joplin, um, some who had nothing left of their home, uh, standing on the slab of a home talking to uh, the, the, the son of the homeowner, um, and his parents were spared, um, talking with, uh, with a family, with, with a 92-year-old World War II veteran um, who really could do nothing to fix up his own yard, um, and the gratitude in these people's hearts that they're like, well, why, why would you come here? And my response to them was like, how could I not? Like, this is the overflow of what we're called to be and do all the time everywhere. And so, that's not even in my notes. It's just for free um, before we get started. Um, I need to pray and then we'll we'll continue. Papa, you are faithful. You are the rock. You are good. And I beg that your spirit would consume me like none other this morning. God, so much emotion within me notes in front of me, your word in front of me. Um, God, would you direct the words that, that, that happened from here this morning? And God, would you break us where we are selfish and where we're so consumed with ourselves, our comfort, our stuff? And would you show us your eternal plan? And so, uh, I've got to run to you. And I beg that you would be God in this moment. In your powerful name I pray, amen. Job 31, I want to start here um, because here's what Job does. You're familiar with the story of Job, I'm sure many of you, the, the immense suffering that he experienced in his life. Um, And here in Job 31, he's basically pleading the case of his innocence, pleading the case that he's walked in integrity, and he's going to lay out some pretty unbelievable truths that teach us a lot about how to view people. Okay, so I want to lay a foundation of how the scripture teaches us to view people, and then we're going to actually get in and talk about how to act around people, okay? Um, So uh, Job 31, I'm going to start at verse 13. Here's what it says. Um, Follow along with me in your Bibles. Listen to Job pleading the case of his integrity. If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Let me stop there a second. Um, I believe that Job is trying trying to communicate a couple things here. And I want to point those out. That when we truly understand the gospel, it opens our eyes to see a few things. Here's the first thing that Job is trying to show us. That when we truly see the gospel for what it is, it opens our eyes to see that we're all on the same playing field that there's a level playing field and that we really live with no rights. Okay. And so, no, notice what Job says. If, um, he's talking about his servants and he's like, if they, if they brought a complaint against me, he's like, everything that I was in, within me, I sought to treat them properly. He's like, even in his own work, he didn't see a hierarchy in himself as the master and his servants as lower, but, but even like they could bring a complaint against him, and how does he articulate why? What does he say? Fifteen. We all came from the same place. So he's like, there's a hierarchy between man and God, absolutely, but there is no hierarchy between mankind in mankind at all. Why? Because we all came from the same place. Here's how the Psalms articulate it. The the, the idea of us being born into sin. Psalm 51 verse 5, behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. 58 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. We're all born into this, are we not? And so when we look out into the world and we view people, we have to realize that, that it's, it's, it's a level playing field. Period. 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 And then Job's going to take us a step deeper. 16. If I have withheld anything that the poor desired... Or have caused the the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless has not eaten of it. For from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or the needy without covering, if his blood has not blessed me... I'm sorry, if his body has not blessed me and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I had raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket for I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced his majesty. Um, Job saying, I once was poor. I once was fatherless. I once was homeless. I once was in desperate need in a helpless condition. And God in his mercy alone, not leaving me there as I deserved, came to my rescue. So all of a sudden his eyes are open to see a God of grace But seeing a God of grace has to lead us, I'm sorry, mercy, I I skipped one. Becoming a God, uh, seeing a God of mercy has to lead us to actually be people of mercy. Because notice what Job is saying. He's like, the poor, the widows, the fatherless, the needy, those without clothes, everything he sought to do, he's like, I cannot withhold from them. Because God has not withheld from me. He is not giving me what I, what I deserve. And so notice how he dives us deeper into not just viewing it as a, as, as a straight, plain, loving, le, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really tired this morning. Not just seeing it as a flattened out playing field where we're all the same, but diving deeper into the reality of God doesn't just leave us in our situation. His mercy, Him not giving us what we do deserve. And notice what Job says in, in 22. If he would come to the conclusion that he wasn't merciful, like his heavenly Father is merciful, look at, look at the sorrow. Let my shoulder blade fall from its shoulder Let my arm be broken from its socket for I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced His majesty. It's like God is so holy that He would think of me, that He would pursue me, that He would not leave me in my helpless condition. And then He dives us a step deeper in 24. If I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence. Okay, notice the abundance. Notice, notice what he's talking about here. If, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had found much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splendor. Okay, so he's laying out all the, the not only God did not give me what I deserve, but the abundant grace of the Almighty God. He's like laying out all of these different things gold, wealth, the the beauty of creation. And then he says in 27, and my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. This also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges for I would have been false to the God above. Okay, so notice what he's saying here. It's as if he's like, can, can he look at all the abundance of what he has? And As if to say, it's my my doing. So no, his his eyes are open. And he's trying to open our eyes to see God is gracious. He's given abundantly. And we need to do the same. Because here's what we do if we're honest. If we're honest, and can we be honest together this morning? We pat ourselves on the back about the positions we're in, whether it's a job or relationship or stock market. Like, and we're like, look at what I did. Look at how I worked the system to get in a good place. And I'm not knocking planning and I'm not knocking being prepared and doing what you're called to do to do things well. But what we do is at the end of the day, we're like, look at me. Look at what I did. And Job's like, grace. That is it. By the grace of God, he gave you the mind he gave you. He gave you the means he gave you, period. If you want to pat somebody on the back, it better be him. Sometimes being gracious to people is tough. Sometimes seeing the grace of God poured out to us and then in turn, being gracious with that is, is hard. We, we experienced this um, in, our, in our first job that we had in Joplin, and I'm going to have, Sierra's going to come up and just share with you um, about that.
1: I'll try and make it. Oh. Okay. All right. Awesome. Um, Okay, so we got there, and one of the guys who was in the vehicle with us kind of just summed it up. We pulled up, and he was like, there are so many people who are so much worse off than this that need our help. And we did. We pulled up, and you can, like, count the leaves in his yard, and there was, like, maybe, like, a little bit of insulation in his driveway. We are like, seriously? You called for help. Anyway, and that's a terrible, terrible... Anyway, that was kind of the overall attitude. So we pulled up and um, uh, got out, and the guy was, like... um, like he said, 92 years old, and he was like, yeah, um, I've got all this insulation in my driveway, and I want it raked up, and I want all the leaves, you know, and and everything, and I'm like, seriously? Okay, so I don't know what the guys did, but um, Amanda and I went and grabbed rakes, and we started, like, raking the driveway um, to get, like, the five pieces of insulation up and the 12 leaves out of the yard, and all the while I'm doing this, I'm like, okay, going over, like, the Colossians verses, do everything you do for the glory of God, and I'm like, all right, God, doing it for your glory, whatever your lawn, and then I just kind of think the thought, and I'm like, God— geez, you don't waste your time raking like five leaves out of my yard and then God hit me with a Mack truck. Um, I realized he does that every day. There are much bigger yards. There are yards with houses demolished and trees down and just picture the yards as like people's lives. There are huge things going on and yet then there's me over in my yard with like 12 leaves and four pieces of insulation, and, you know, I'm like, oh, God, um, you know, whatever, please don't let me get a head cold, you know, because that would just make my life kind of miserable this week, you know, or, oh, please let me go find a good parking spot because it's raining and I don't want to get wet, you know, insert whatever, like, the little bitty request is that we have here, and then there's people who are lost or um, just whatever, uh, being tortured in other countries, being, you know, going through war and famine and um, those are like the big yards, and yet here I am with my perfect little yard, and God's like, Sierra, I rake your leaves all the time. Uh, you can't do it yourself, just like this 92-year-old guy. it's It doesn't matter the size of the task. God has called us to do it because he does the same thing in our life. No matter how big the thing we—I— uh, I wanted a big house. I wanted a lot of stuff in the yard. I wanted to be able to see that we'd done, like, this huge thing. And God's like, no, sometimes you just gotta do the little task. Just this little thing. Just this little thing of helping this person with this one small thing. That's being me just as much as helping in the big stuff. That's just like I help you and versus the other people. Anyway. So, I hope that made sense.
0: So, after um, we left this guy's yard, um, we, uh, we all talked, um, and we all felt the same exact way about, here's this 92-year-old man that was passionate about taking care of what God had given him. Um, And he couldn't in no way ever have done what he asked us to do. There were a few more than 12 leaves, but um, um, there's no way he could have done what he asked us to do. Uh, And man, the Lord just convicted all of us about how so often, when it comes to being people of grace, it, we put stipulations on that. We put parameters on what that looks like. And we even talked about the sin in wanting to go to Joplin to get an experience to come home with and tell you about how we stood on all the rubble and like help people. And you're like, yeah. Like, how terrible is that? So the Lord just out from the bat is like, You are not here for you you're here for me you're here to share my name with people whose lives are broken including this gentleman go to luke chapter 10 so how we see people is is huge because it's going to change how we actually interact with them Luke ten, starting in verse twenty five. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that being Jesus, to the test, saying, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And he said to him, "What is written in the law? How do you read it?" And he answered. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right, let me stop there for a sec. So, this Jewish lawyer approaches Jesus and he says to him, um, I want to go, go to heaven. I want to know that I'm good in that regard. Well, what does it take? And Jesus quotes the famous passage, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, um, what's interesting is this lawyer, his purpose was in no way to really get at the heart of what he was asking. He wanted to, number one, try to trick Jesus, which is an interesting attempt, and number two, he wanted to make himself look really good. Which was the purpose of his question, who's my neighbor? So, look at 31. I'm sorry, 30. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Passed by on the other side. Let me stop there for a second. Um, Notice the irony here for a second. Um, So, Jesus, he he sets up this story um, to illustrate a point to this Jewish lawyer. And what he's doing here is, how ironic is it that the the two people that are trained to actually help in the situation are the two people that actually um, pass by the one in need? Um, It's kind of similar to, I think, our situation, a ton. Um, And then, continue on in verse 33, and you're familiar with this story, but this is striking. Uh, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. and do likewise. So who does Jesus set up as the main characters in this story? A Samaritan and a Jew, which are what? Outright enemies of one another. And so this story begins to play out. And here you have um, this, this passageway. You might be familiar with the idea that it's known as the bloody way. It was an incredibly dangerous Trek of 17, 18 miles that that not only was it dangerous for the Jew to travel, but the Samaritan to travel as even worse and then to stop and offer help. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus takes, he's talking to a Jewish lawyer and he puts the guy in need on the ground. Who, Who is it? It's, it's a Jew. Uh, uh, interesting. Think Jesus was trying to communicate something there? Probably. He puts the Jew on the ground. And the Samaritan comes by. And, and what happens? He stops. Now, everything about a Samaritan in that moment should have done what? Kick the guy in the teeth to start... Because Jews treated Samaritans horribly. They even thought they were demonic. But check out what Jesus is doing. Jesus is confronting this this religious lawyer who's trying to just get by easy and and say he's doing well and protect himself from the needs of others. Neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Neighbor? and here Jesus is like anybody that comes in your path that has need is your neighbor even if it's the guy right next door and he's confronting this Jew and he's confronting us in the reality that that so often we just want to step back and we don't want to truly engage the need that is around us we don't want to truly be who God calls us to be as the people of God but like you know somebody else can get it. So, uh, five things that I want to point out in this encounter right here. Number one, mercy is the litmus test for authentic faith. Mercy is the litmus test for authentic faith. Because look at verse 33. Look at what it says. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion... His his soul broke within him. Why? Because he he understood mercy. When When you get mercy, you give it. Not just when you get it, but when you actually get it, you give it. Because that's the nature of it when you understand that you have freely received, you're just like, how can I not but give? So let me define mercy for you. Spontaneous, superabounding love, which comes from an experience of the grace of God, the deeper the experience of the free grace of God, the more generous we become. So if pursuit of Jesus is what Jesus calls it, that we're go, we dive deeper and deeper and deeper into Him, then what does that mean? For how generous we are and become. We become more and more and more and more generous people. So, it's something that we owe the people around us. Second thing, mercy requires entrance into others pain look at verse 34 he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine I'm going to stop there for a second he engaged the dude's blood that's sick you don't think I mean, I had to, like, look away when my first daughter was born, so that's, maybe I'm just weird. Um, he, engaged, he engaged the dude's pain, his wounds. He, he, he began to bring healing and, and start to help at, at the core of his pain. Uh, we had an incredible opportunity to do this um, with uh, one family that we served for several hours on Friday afternoon. And Amanda's going to come and, and talk about that to you guys.
2: So this, the second house that we went to on third Friday was um, a 70-year-old couple, uh, Pete and Linda. And we got there, and um, it looks like we couldn't really do anything to start out with. And they had a bunch of big logs and trees, and uh, their yard was to the back of, like, the parking lot, um, so we couldn't really drag everything to the street. It would have taken hours, um, and uh, Linda didn't want us to burn anything, so we're like, really? We just raked this guy's leaves. We come here, and now I feel like we can't help Pete and Linda, so Not shortly after, I'm talking to God like, come on, we got to help us out here. A bobcat rolls into the the yard and he takes like everything, the big stuff that we couldn't do. And the guys get to work, they're doing the chainsaws and um, so everything kind of sets in motion. And while they're doing that, Sierra and I kind of started uh, picking up the trash, and Linda comes out, and she's she was a mess. She um, she just starts talking, and I couldn't hear so I walk up closer, and she's like, my garden is a disaster. I worked so hard on this. Um, it's all gone, and I thought we were done with everything that God was trialing us and our tribulations with raising our kids, and it's, it's not over yet, and we're 70, and she just kept going on and on and on, and eventually I just started crying, and... I just I hugged her and she cried and she's like, My husband's telling me not to cry. I'm like, You go ahead. <laughs> so it was um it was definitely a touching a touching moment for me to be able to comfort her in that way and just for God to show his mercy on them and their situation. Um and kind of after we got done, we all um the good the Samaritan savior Savior, Salvation Army, they came around and shared with us that these two people had just accepted Christ the day before, and that was awesome, and we were even more, like, invigorated, and so we all went to pray with them after, and they were just so gracious, like, grateful for our service to them, and um, Linda was like, I will never forget you for the rest of my life, and um, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. Dave walks up, and he says, we come here in the name of Jesus, and she said, I know, Like, immediately, matter-of-factly, I know. And that, to me, was just, like, everything that we were hoping for, Um, just spreading Jesus' love around. Um, So while I was working in the yard um, after she had kind of broken down, it was amazing to me because God was— Rick's words, actually, in future or past sermon— He had said, "We're not here to raise a pretty garden and have perfect kids that don't give us trouble." Like, um, and that in my life was what I was talking to God with that whole time while we were doing that. Um, I'm not here to to have a perfect job and to have perfect marriage or anything like that. It's I'm here to serve God and love others, plain and simple. Um, As we kept on for that that day, and then the next day, it kind of just the second day especially, um, when you see this. And the first day, we did not see this. We were kept from this the first day. And the second day was um, incredible when we were standing in the middle of that. And you just realize that none of this matters. Like, nothing that you can put in that little house isn't going to be strewn across the yard when the next storm hits in your life. Like, you just have to you can't do anything about it. It's, it's, we're not saved from any of us. Um, so that was laid on my heart, especially with like, my job and my career and like what I'm trying to do, and God kind of put that into perspective for me with the corporate world and what my goals are there, and everybody else around me is so consumed with filling up that house that's going to be destroyed. That's what God laid on my heart.
0: Cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, there's something awkward about uh, entering people's pain um, just to the left of this house, or what was a house, is another house um, that all that existed was a closet, and there was a couple in the closet that was that lived through it, but there's nothing on the slab except like a closet um, and we're, we're over here cleaning up back here. I don't know if you can see. Um, Amanda is in this picture uh, right there in the white. Um, and we're, we're over there back kind of behind her, and there's a guy digging through all this, all this rubble. And you can tell he's doing it in such a way that, like, he's not just some random person. Like, he's got to be the homeowner. And so, like, I'm like, man, I should go talk to him. And then I'm like, no, I'm, I really need to work over here. And I'm like, no, I, I'm just, like, battling in my head about going over. And I'm like, what in the heck do you say to someone that just lost everything? And so, you know, I was like, oh, I got an idea. And I saw some other lady talking. And so I asked her about him. And, I, and I'm just like, okay, come on, go. And so, so I walk over there. And, you know, I, I don't even remember what I said. Just apologize all over the place and, and just... Um, tried to love him, and, uh, and he said that his, you know, it was his parents' home, and they were spared in that small closet, and um, it, 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 the Lord just taught me so much about, I think we make things so much more awkward than, than they need to be, or we, we center them around us. Because entering people's pain is really hard because you don't know how to do that well sometimes. You don't know what to say sometimes. You you don't want to like say the wrong thing and then they go off the hook. And then like, I mean, and and we kind of experienced that with this, the the couple that um, Amanda was talking about where this lady was just so distraught. But God calls us to enter people's pain. And he calls us to trust him so much that that he'll give us the words to do it. But so often what we do is we stay back and we want to be comfortable with the fact that I'm real comfortable knowing I don't have to have that conversation or navigate how that works. And I can't tell you how blessed that man was when the Lord finally did give me the courage to go up to him. Um, And I found out that his parents were, his dad's a pastor I lived in that home, and, man, I just got to pray with him and just love on his, his five-year-old who he said was, thought it was so awesome to be here and, like, be digging through, looking for stuff, and, um, and like, like, God uses. He calls us to enter people's pain, and he promises that he wants to use us to do that. And the third thing is this, from verse 34, mercy requires personal sacrifice, Mercy requires personal sacrifice. It says, And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Okay, think about that. It's like taking a homeless person, putting them in your car, driving them to your house, putting them in your bed, on your sheets, feeding them your food. This is is what... This is what he did. The the personal sacrifice. Here, get on my animal. I'm going to to lay aside my belongings, my, 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 my. Because you have need. And I have need. And God's greatly provided. And so out of the out of the overflow of my heart, not out of the overflow of my stuff. Not of the overflow of, I have so much so I'm going to give what I have and then keep like, no, God sometimes will say, no, you need to get rid of everything. Now, that's not necessarily the norm. But it could be what he calls us to do. So let me ask this question. What, what is it for you? What, what's the personal sacrifice that God calls you to make? Or what is it that you try to be real comfortable in? Because you know whether it's a, a relationship that you, you just you just want to be comfortable with that person, or, or you just don't know how engaging that person will look like, or you, you just you, you want to be in your comfort zone, if you will. We experience that. Like the, the, the idea of personal sacrifice. This Samaritan, he became dirty and, and gross because there was someone that had need. This is what it means to be the church. This is the calling that we have. But what about this? You know, I look around here and um, we're all pretty much the same. I don't think we do this well as a church. We, we don't come out of our comfort zone well and engage people that have need. We don't. This is what we're called to be and do. To, to be so sensitive to, okay, God, who is it in my life? Who is it in my neighborhood? Who is it at my work that you're calling me to engage? But not just like, here, let me, let me help you out here. There you go. But, but my next point is this. Mercy requires long-term investment. Because we want to be so quick to like, I'll help you. Let me give you You need five bucks. There's five bucks. You know, don't spend that on certain things, but you can have my five bucks. I won't judge you. You know, that whole deal goes to your head or someone will try to put that through through your head. But no, we're, are we willing, let me, let me ask it this way. Are we willing for God to say, I want you to engage this person that might be of a different race, that might be of a different socioeconomic class. I want you to engage this person, but not just for that moment, for the long haul. Because notice what he says in verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He's like, I'm not just giving you this and then jetting, but he's like, I'm taking responsibility to see that this happens. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with flowing out mercy to others who have need? And not just the people that you like and are comfortable to do it with. But anybody that God says, that's the person. And you're like, that guy? Lord, we need to talk. Really? That, yes. That guy. That girl. Who is that for you? Who is it? There's, A group of three churches, we're one of them, that are trying to launch an initiative, organization, whatever, we'll see what it becomes, just called I Heart North County, where we try to love on this community, and we rally churches and people and organizations to see the need in our community and meet it. And we sent out the mission team that was here last week, and they went out and did flyers and surveyed the community, and I've already received numerous phone calls saying, how much is this? like I need my lawn mode. How much is it? Like, it doesn't cost anything. And we're just there's a group of pastors that are just starting to pray through. What does it look like for us to just love on the people that God has put in our community? And we want to do it for the long haul. Number 5. And this is most important. Look at verse 37. And he said The one who showed him mercy. That's the one who proved to be a neighbor. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Here's the point. Mercy is required, but it's never to be the response of a requirement. Mercy is required. You are commanded by God to go and be merciful to those who have need. But never Are we to do it as if you better do that? It's to be the overflow of the generosity of our Father who gave so much so that we wouldn't receive what we deserved and that we would get so much more. And when we live in that reality, there's a sensitivity To who God has around us. And his agenda. Because we love our agenda. We love our plan. We love the people we love and we have in our mind, here's how I want to serve, here's what I want to do. And if it falls out of the bounds of that, then that person needs to sign up because I know what that looks like. And I believe this morning God's speaking to some of you and he's saying, no, here's where you are called. Here's who you are called to love well. And I'm going to do a work in your life as I use you to do a work in their life. They always go together. Always. It's the process of humility. It's the process of sanctification. It's a response of God's mercy. Titus 3, the passage we started our service with, says this But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Quit patting yourself on the back, but according to his mercy. And you know what, church? It's our task to take that out of these doors. Places like Joplin and Alabama and Africa and Nepal, Korea and Boulder. South County, Maryland Heights, and Hazel Hood, or whatever you want to call it. That's our task. That's the church that God is calling us to be. Will we? Will we obey? Will we respond? Let's pray. Father, I I stand here in this moment in time. Fearful. God, this moment in time where we know what you're calling us to. Walking that out isn't easy. It's not natural for, for some of us. Some of us, it's who we are through and through, but it's not natural. And so God, I'm fearful Just personally, for me, that I would stand before the church that you've called me to lead. And I would say one thing and I would do something different. Or I would call them to one thing and I would do something different. So God, I ask that you would convict my soul. God, that you would help me to live this out. God, your abundant mercy is, is vast. And God, like the physical condition in Joplin, that is a picture of the spiritual condition of our world. People are really good at hiding it, really good at dressing up, and acting like they have it all together. And God, sometimes we are too. So God, would you by your Spirit's power, give us permission this morning to be the first ones to admit that we need your mercy. Because we we are disobedient. We are selfish. We love our stuff. We love our plan. We love our agenda. We aren't very good at freely giving. And so God, would you, by your Spirit's power, enable us to walk in obedience? Because apart from you doing it in us, God, it's just not gonna happen so God, might this be one moment in time where you propel us forward a bit to walk more faithfully with you, to be more giving to those in this place, to be more giving to those outside this place, to grasp a little bit further this morning the depths of your love for us. the depths of how you've extended your grace and your mercy to us, that we would get mercy in such a way that we would give it. God, have your way. Might we never be the same in your name.